Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, Megan Thompson here, and I wanted to talk about the three things that you can ask yourself to stop anxiety-related behaviors for your highly sensitive child before they start. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. So I really wanted to talk about this today because I think it's so important for parents of highly sensitive children to prevent anxiety-related disorders. And one of the things that I think is so so needed in you know in terms of your knowledge bank of parenting a highly sensitive kid is the understanding of what is anxiety and what is being a highly sensitive child and what's typical behavior for a highly sensitive kid because if you're clear of what's typical behavior for a highly sensitive child then when you start to set parameters around how to parent and set your expectations on on what's true and typical for a highly sensitive child then you are setting yourself up for success for not perpetuating problems for emotional problems for your highly sensitive child that leads to symptoms of an anxiety disorder that has you knocking on the therapist's door who may or may not know about the personality trait and whether or not um, your child's behavior is typical for their personality, typical for their intense experiences in the world, and may pathologize it, which you know in layman's terms means says there's something wrong when there's something isn't, and um, makes your child wrong for feeling big feelings. And so one thing that we you know, really work on with parents here at MTC is helping parents understand what's typical. What's typical? What are typical expectations for a highly sensitive child? What are typical expectations for any child, let alone being highly sensitive? Because many of you have multiple kids. And um, again, what's important to be aware of is the understanding of what's typical for development for all children, and then what's typical for raising a highly sensitive kid and how to ensure that the way that you're parenting your child is fitting how the 20% of the population is needs to be raised because if you're raising your kid with standards that fit the highly sensitive that hit, that fit the non-highly sensitive population the 80% how you are raised how you see most children should be raised then you're going to set yourself up for significant challenges as your child ages and set your child up for significant challenges because you're not comparing apples to apples. You're saying, my child is an orange, but they need to learn how to be more like an apple. And um, while I understand they're an orange, they also need to deal with lots of apples. And so while they are an orange, um, they need to be more like an apple. So many of you are probably having this conversation with your spouses and, uh, you know, speaking to uh, a parent earlier today about this dichotomy of not setting your kid up for uh, developing increased expression of their sensitivity, increased expression of intense emotional behaviors um, and emotional expression that lead to ineffective behaviors because she, she's worried and, and her husband is worried that they're overprotecting their son. 
and that they're, they're saying that there's a problem when there isn't one. Um, that's one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is, you know, everything's a problem and, um, and it's because my child's sensitive and so therefore I might save, must save them from these problems. I, I have to protect them from the world and, and, and put this bubble, you know, make my kid bubble boy, like that movie that I never see it, saw it, but it, I don't know if you guys remember that, like big plastic bubble and the, the guy was like walking around in it. I can't remember who was in that. Is it Jake Gyllenhaal? Anyways. Um, again, just noticing what it is for you guys in, in, in the dynamic, what I think is really important for you to, to get clear on is, is how to assess your parenting because we all want to raise children who are healthy, right? You know, not just physically healthy, not just, um, you know, nutritionally healthy, uh, but emotionally healthy, emotionally independent. And what I want to do today is talk about that and the questions that you can ask and, um, and what it takes, what it takes for for you as a parent to ensure that the way that you're parenting is setting your highly sensitive child up for success. Because if you're stuck in this meltdown cycle of daily meltdowns or daily outbursts, daily ex intense expression of emotion, then you're moving towards a pattern of your child feeling like they're incapable of managing their emotions, and without getting very clear on how to assess your parenting, how to assess how you're setting up the environment for success for your highly sensitive child, then you will not be able to move yourself out of this and you'll need support in doing that. And, and again, you know, obviously I'm here, but for many of you feeling as if you can do this on your own, you need to know how you can justify that decision. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, because um, especially for those of you in two parent households or for those of you who have um, you know, family members who are maybe telling you the opposite when you feel like you have you don't know what you're doing and and you know that there's significant risks in, in supporting your child the way that you're uh, without clear direction. Um, this is this is what this is for. So, guys, um, what we're talking about is understanding first the symptoms of anxiety and and what anxiety looks like for a highly sensitive child. Because when you think about what, you know, how, how society typically manages this, they go to a mental health professional to manage symptoms of anxiety. Um, and so 80% of the population goes to therapy and may or may not get results from that. And, um, you know, just depends on, on, on who you're working with and whether or not they're, they're learned in, in treating children and as well as learned in treating children with anxiety disorders. Um, and then whether or not they can get the outcomes that you're looking for. So that's one, one thing to consider. But when we think about what's so important to be aware of, if your highly sensitive child is on the track of de to developing an anxiety disorder, you really need to know how to circumvent that, right? Because we don't, we don't want that. Um, and we need to know how to recognize the signs and turn it around and when to seek help so that you don't end up in that position. Because once you're in the position of, of um, seeking support and, and, and taking your kid to therapy, uh, there's a whole host of other, um, you know, just complications that you need to manage. So getting to the appointments, dragging your kid to the appointments, getting your child to admit to, to needing support and being open and honest in the therapy session um, and, and being able to communicate whether or not the, the therapist is using play therapy and, and the child is being open and honest in their play and communicating that way um, or, or using talk therapy and whether or not that's actually proven to get results for highly sensitive children based on that clinician's track record. And so there's, there's many, many things that you're going to need to tick off if this ends up, you know, further down the line and you don't turn it around. 
Um, so I, I really want you to, to be clear that you're going to have to deal with it either way. It's just a matter of what hard, <laughs> what part of hard you want to deal with. You know, one of my coaches says, pick your hard. <laughs> um, and I love that because, yeah, it's hard to, to do it and to prevent it and to set up a uh, routine and, and to schedule things that, um, you know, aren't necessarily na come natural to me. And it's harder uh, to deal with the fallout of that. So, um, but that's a tangent I went on. Sorry about that. So let's get into understanding the symptoms of anxiety and understanding where they fit for highly sensitive kids and then getting very clear on how to assess yourself and, and in your parenting because you've likely been following me for a while and you've known that parents of highly sensitive kids are the ones who need to adjust their approach in order to prevent any mental health needs for their highly sensitive child, um, you know, barring... Uh, an experience of trauma that leads to the obvious need of, of seeking professional support uh, outside of the home and, and as well as inside of the home. So just um, just recognize that that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about general run-of-the-mill, typical 80% parenting, parenting that's that works with 80% of the population, that doesn't work with highly sensitive children, that then leads to significant challenges for your highly sensitive child in terms of how they, they, they view their world, how they view themselves as capable of solving their own problems, and um, how they feel uh, in terms of their relationship with you and, and how that disrupts your attachment as a parent um, in parenting your child. So that's what we're focusing on here. So when we think about the definition of anxiety and, and the clinical definition of anxiety, um, I, you know, I have a training on that for you guys. If you're on my email list, you should be getting that. What we're talking about here briefly is that if your child's emotional expression of worry is debilitating in the sense that they're refusing to do what they need to do, um, or they are so worried that they can't feel confident or capable of solving their own problems, and that's persistent for two weeks or more, more days than not, then your child is on their way or has already developed the symptoms of an anxiety disorder. Now, guys, <laughs> for those of you whose kids have been experiencing meltdowns for their entire life, you can see how if you were to show up on a therapist's door and they diagnose a, you know, an anxiety disorder, um, that doesn't match, right? You know, you're going to get skeptical. You're going to worry about, you know, does this, does this person really understand me? Do they really get what I'm doing here? So I really want you to equip you guys with the understanding so you can advocate for your kids' needs and, and you can seek support in the way that needs to happen for your family, uh, to prevent this. But uh, obviously if you're, if you're there at this point where your, your kid's dealing with, with daily meltdowns, then you need support now to turn it around. So, Understanding what's going on is the the understanding that your child is refusing to do things that that they're that a typical child would be expected to follow through on more days than not. Kids are kids, right? So they're not always going to want to go to bed on time, or always want to to get up for for school, or always want to you know go skipping into the day they have a test. But more times than not, if your child has a um, a meltdown or you know a forceful or aggressive refusal or is throwing things related to expectations that you place on them every day, um, you know, in terms of it not being a surprise that they, that they would be expected to do X, Y, Z, you know, go to bed, do their homework, whatever. Um, and you can add it all up. So just take, you know, I do this on the phone with parents when we talk, like add it all up more days than not is your child melting down related to these things. 
If that's the case, then that's a consistent problem for highly sensitive kids, and that's a sign of anxiety and, and a developing or already developed anxiety disorder in a highly sensitive child. So again, very clear that your highly sensitive child is not um, developing typically an emotionally healthy way if they are experiencing daily meltdowns or more days than not out of the month for multiple months, their whole life. Um, that's very, very concerning for you as a parent. And, and so that's the first thing. The second thing is that these meltdowns, um, for, for it to, to be, to meet the criteria of an anxiety disorder have to be observed to not be due to overstimulation. Now, overstimulation, as we know, is the second part of the personality trait when we think about the four components. Um, and so what's very important to know is that your child might be overstimulated by a thought in their head that they've been stimming, like spreading and spinning around on all day long. And that has led to increased intensity of emotion. Um, intense, intense emotion, right? And, and so your, your kid's thought is creating that intensity in their body, in their brain, and in their emotional experience. And so if that's happening and they are responding to you in your request to, you know, go upstairs and go to bed, and you share that with a, a professional who's trained to, to, to discern an anxiety disorder, you know, like a mental health professional um, or a pediatrician per, per se, um, they're going to look at that, you know, cause and effect environment. And they're not, if they are not clearly understanding how intensely your child can be overstimulated by their own thought process, then they could very well say that you're your child can just be um, struggling with expectations and then that's what's creating the worry. And if your child is highly sensitive and it's hard to get things out of them, you feel like you're, you know, pulling teeth to really understand what's going on and you only hear what the, what's worrying them after they've exploded or in the middle of an explosion, then, um, or after, you know, months and in an explosion of something that bothered them for months, just think about, how that will turn out when uh, you're working with somebody whose whose sole focus is to get your kid to talk about what is uh, bothering them. Um, there's a mismatch here in terms of expectations, so you really need to work on wor and work with a an expert. So um, in the field, because it 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 just sets your child up for feeling like they did something wrong when they're not comfortable uh, addressing their problems with a stranger or somebody who they've been working with for a while who just isn't using the right approach. So again, we're talking about um, where you'll where, where you'll end up if you don't turn this around. So now when we think about how to turn this around and and what you need to do. We're, we're focusing on is building the foundation. So the three questions I want you to, to, to ask yourself are, are these. The first one is when you're parenting a highly sensitive kid, it's very important to evaluate that environment that you're parenting in. And so how does the household run? Um, you know, what are your expectations on a daily basis? What routines do you have set up that support your highly sensitive child to feel successful in their day? What are you requiring your child more days than not to suck it up? 
and a deal more often than supporting their emotional expression as they only know how to do right now. So if your child is, is having daily meltdowns, um, that's their only skill. They, they only have the skill to express their emotions at that level. And, um, and, and if that's happening, that's their go-to skill, then your expectations in parenting your child need to be gradual in terms of what your, 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 your end goal, which is, you know, mommy, I'm very upset this happened or daddy, you know, I don't like the way that you, um, uh, the, the way that you asked for me to do that or, um, you know, mommy, uh, can I do this in five minutes instead? And I, I'm almost done with X, Y, Z. Um, just about to finish versus, all right, I'm done. Ah, you know, just this straight zero to 60 scream fest, um, or I never get to finish and then meltdown. Um, whatever the reaction is for your child, if your child's going from zero to 60 as their go-to, and, and this brings me to my, my next, um, uh, point, uh, and your expectation is that they not, they go from, from zero to five, then your expectations need to be gradually increased, you know, rather than just going, you know, expecting your child to go from zero to five right now. There's a, that's a giant gap. Um, and then the next thing that I think is really important in terms of, of understanding that is, is if your expectations are for your child to go from zero to five in terms of their intensity of emotion, um, but right now they're going from zero to 60, then it probably means that you're waffling from giving in um, fine here, whatever, to giving up on, on giving them any sense of, uh, understanding or any sense of a, of a, of a, a say in what's going on. And you're saying, nope, that's it. You know, I give up on your ability to be independent. What I say goes. So it's this pendulum. You know, we work with my clients all the time and figuring out where they lie in that pendulum. And, and oftentimes both parents are in completely opposite pendulums and you guys, you know, you swing, um, each, you know, each one or both are holding the other end and, and it's just, you end up um, crazy making and, and it creates a conflict in the marriage as well uh, or the relationship. And so that's really, really important. That's the second stage of finding balance. And then when we think about the third question that you need to be focusing on for your family is really understanding how to help your child advocate clearly for their needs. Because if that's the first step that you're going to, you're, you're, you're skipping ahead um, way too fast. And this is why we, I speak so often about how it's so important to, to be systematic and how you change how you parent your child. You can't, uh, cherry pick what, what seems, uh, more applicable, uh, without a step-by-step -step plan, because if you're not clearly identifying the, the priority in terms of how to get your child from A to Z, then you're going to start by expecting your child to already be at G and your kids at A. So you're going to start teaching skills when, you know, expecting your kid to already be here when your kid's over here. And this is the, the spectrum of, of completion of, you know, my child can communicate their needs clearly more days than not, um, uh, has a healthy conversation about what, what it is that's, um, that they don't want to do. So for example, healthily, um, you know, healthy expectation for a three-year-old is to say, ah, I don't want to. Okay, mommy. And then to turn it around. And so, uh, yelling is something that can be healthily expected of a three-year-old two, maybe three times a day. Um, daily meltdowns? No, I would not expect that of a three-year-old. Um, so just notice that, 
you know, if your child goes, you know, and just says, ah, but I don't want to. And then once you say, you, or you hold a limit or you, you know, say, oh, that's hard. And they say, yeah, it is hard. And then they help you and work with you to solve the problem. That's developmentally appropriate. So just be very, very clear with yourself about what the general age expectations are for your child. And if your kid is seven and they are three, five, ten times a day yelling at you when they don't want to do something or when you, you know, when they feel surprised about what your expectation is, even if you gave them five, ten minute warnings um, or put it on the calendar, all that jazz, then that's not developmentally appropriate. Seven-year-olds should be able to more likely than more regularly than not more often than not even when they're highly sensitive experience the 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 experience of being surprised manage it themselves internally shift their demeanor and then use a coping skill if they need to and then respond to you might still not respond to you by saying okay mom like that's different compliance is different than emotionally and learning how to manage your own emotions. And that's very, very important, guys. So um, our, our end goal is not always to have very compliant children. Our, our, our goal is to have emotionally independent children because when they're emotionally independent, they become, they follow through on their expectations more. So very, very clear on, on understanding that. And then next is, is really just understanding where your child lies in terms of the developmental expectations of a highly sensitive child, not developmental expectations of the other 80% of kids. And so what, what parents can really get tripped up in and, and where I see parents get trapped is by saying, well, my child needs to learn how to respond in, um, you know, in day to day and, and they need to not have their sensory processing sensitivity be a crutch. Yes, absolutely. That's why we talk about emotional independence. We focus on on developing those skills for you, for parents that I work with in, in boot camp. And, and, and understanding that um, is absolutely the goal and, and absolutely should be your, your focus at parenting any child, but especially a highly sensitive child. Um, because when your child is, is more vulnerable, more at risk to be a people pleaser, more at risk to be a follower, um, more at risk to suppress their own needs in order to please others, more at risk to suppress their own needs and then to explode on others, then it's very, very important that you're teaching your child how to recognize and understand their emotions. And you're not doing that in a way that's saying, well, here's the world, do it all at once. <laughs> because that's like drinking from a fire hose and you can't do that to a three, four, six, eight-year-old. Um, you need to gradually implement that expectation. Um, you know, it's basically like walking outside without any clothes on and saying, like, learn how to be warm, learn how to warm yourself internally, like think warm thoughts. Um, and, and just that understanding of like, I'm a frozen being and I can tolerate something warm. Um, that's a skill that's developed, you know, to learn how to back away from that warm experience so that you don't melt all the way. Um, that's a learned experience. And you can't just expect the your child to, um, you know, to, 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 to learn that um, by um, trial and error or by, um, you know, feet to the fire. Highly sensitive people don't learn feet to the fire. They freeze. Um, they, they retreat. Um, and they get into fight or flight experience because their nervous system is wired to up the ante into fight or flight. And so, 
um, highly sensitive people need some time to gradually uh, learn specific skills and they need to they need time to practice. And so the same is true for your child. It's nothing different. So um, just, just to be very clear for you that, um, that your, if your expectation is to prevent or circumvent the development of an anxiety disorder in your child, then you need to know that you're raising your child the way that they need to be raised. That you need to know that you're raising your child with the understanding and the clear direction of raising a highly sensitive child, not any child who just happens to be sensitive because there's a big difference between raising a child with sensory processing sensitivity and a child who sometimes doesn't like it when people yell at them. Um, that's, that's just uh, a very, very clear indicator of uh, a misunderstanding of the personality trait and, um, you know, just perpetuates that suck it up mentality of, of recognizing or feeling like you need to teach your kid to, to, to suck it up in order for them to, to get over in the world. And um, it, it doesn't work. I mean, it, it, we see this day in, day out at, at my in private practice and with parents who have, you know, come to us through boot camp, um, using the suck it up mentality, it, it, not only does it, does it, um, or even a modified version of that guys, it, it doesn't help your child learn how to notice their own signs of intense emotion. It also doesn't help your child learn how to trust that you can help them manage their own feelings. And so when all those things are, are true, then your child doesn't develop the internal trust of their own emotions because if they can't reach out to you as their parent to learn about their feelings and to learn how to express them safely, because you're telling them that they need to keep on keeping on regardless of them, then how can they learn to trust themselves? Um, and, and that's the, the bottom line core understanding of a healthy parent-child attachment, um, not to be confused with attachment parenting. Um, and, and the, you know, the, the philosophy that your child needs to be with you all the time and, and things of that nature that some parents who decide attachment, parent, attachment parenting is not their cup of tea um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't still focus on developing a healthy focus on, on attaching your child to, to you as your, their caregiver. And so it's, it's important as we talk about earlier that the, the pendulum swinging that's going on in, in your household, likely if, if um, you're engaging, if your child's engaging in, in daily meltdowns and, and through no fault of their own, it's not on purpose. Um, but it's also true that you can't look at the extreme of, you know, a parent who's saving their child all the time and, and rescuing their child from intense emotion all the time and say, well, um, I don't want that to happen. So therefore I can never help my child manage their emotions. They need to learn. Uh, that's the other end, right? So, so just get very clear on where you're at on those sides of the spectrum and really focus on getting yourself in the middle and, and assess yourself over time. And if you'd like to fast track that, if you don't want to trial and error, it, if you don't want to, um, you know, DIY this, this experience and you want to help your child and, and you want to stop, um, really focusing on, on struggle, then I encourage you to reach out because I'd be happy to speak with you about what works and how to support your child and how to support yourselves in parenting in a way that allows your child to feel their feelings, communicate their needs, get their needs met in healthy ways, and then move on and get back to playing. 
because that's what life is all about. So go ahead and call, um, you know, set up a, a link to call me and, and we'll talk about where you are, where you need to be and whether or not I can help you get there. And um, just recognizing that your, your, your core goals here are to focus on changing the dynamic for your child so that they are growing up to be healthy, independent teenagers and healthy, independent adults, even more so than, um, than, than your child once they hit the, hit the adolescent stage and they become uh, less focused on, on hearing what you have to say. It's just a, a nature of uh, the beast of adolescence, as we all know. We've all been there. <laughs> so um, that's it for me today. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.